Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the characteristics of creation and the unique invitation that Noah got to come into the ark. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. When once the long-suffering of God waited... That's all God was waiting for during those 120 years was for any lost sinful man to fall on his face and to confess to God he's a sinner. So when you see the word covenant in the Bible, you should think of creation. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So with that in mind, tell me, and don't try to tie it to covenant, but just think about creation. What are some of the characteristics of the creation? What would you say? Yes. Everything came from God. Oh, yeah, right. Everything came from God. That's very good. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Yes. Okay, made of nothing. That's very important. Made of nothing. That's a very, very important part about creation. They were made of nothing. There's another Hebrew word, asa, which means to make. The difference between the word bara and the word asa is that bara, it means create out of nothing. Asa, it's not so good to use the word create for that. It's to make. And really, we could say when a person calls something a creation, you know, I have this beautiful painting. Would you like to see my art creation? That's not a creation. That's a rearrangement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> When a person creates a beautiful painting, he's merely rearranging paints that are on his palette onto a piece of canvas to make the beautiful painting. That's a rearrangement. When man creates something, he's taking something that already exists and rearranging it to so-called create something. He's not creating something. But God, the creator, he's the only one that actually creates something Because as Irene said, he makes it out of nothing. That aspect of making something out of nothing brings all the glory and all the credit for its origin back to God. That's exactly the way it is with the covenants. All the glory and all the credit for its origin falls back to God. And that's why we saw this in Genesis 9-9 when he was speaking about the rainbow. And there's a token of the covenant that he would not destroy the earth with water again. He said in Genesis 9-9, I, behold I, even I. Now, another thing about the creation, the materials for God's creation came from God alone. That's the very important words, God alone. Now, the plans for the creation also came from God alone. We saw that in Ephesians 1-11, the very important verse where it says, the purpose of him who worketh all things... After the council of the United Nations. No. (laughs) After the council of his own will. See, the materials, God alone. The plans from God alone. And the power to do the creation, when you read verses like Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Oh, there's God said, and there was. That's the power of God, the power of his word. The power comes from God alone. And now, we could also consider about the creation, if you would like to look at the verse, uh, Colossians 1, 16 through 17, where it speaks about the creation. 
But it speaks about another aspect of creation. First of all, it says, For by him were all things created. That's the time of their origin. That are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. That's a purpose. So we have the time of the origin and the purpose for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things are now consisting. The word consist is made up of two words. Consist means to stand together or hold together. You know, the basic element of matter is the atom. And it's the basic small unit of what is a chemical. There's hydrogen atom and calcium atom and so forth. And the nucleus of an atom has positively charged particles called protons in in extremely close proximity. And they have the same charge. Protons have positive charge. And the closer you put two items of the same charge together, the more energy it takes to put them together. Kind of like if you like to take the same poles of two magnets and you try to put it together, it takes more and more energy to bring those same poles of the magnet together because they repel each other. So the explanation as to how protons can stay together, and there are explanations, but there's never been a satisfactory explanation to explain where does the energy come from, where does the power come from to keep those protons in such close proximity within the nucleus of the atom. That speaks of the continuation of the creation is from God alone. So the plans are from God alone, and the power is from God alone, and the materials are from God alone, and the continuation is from God alone. So the creation is all about God alone, all from God. Now that's what God's covenants are. They're all about God alone. They don't depend, they involve man, most of them, but they do not depend on man. They don't even depend on whether a man understand them or not. They stand because of God alone. So sometimes it's very, very difficult for us in our nature to accept this concept of God alone. And sometimes when we start to overestimate, overvalue ourselves, then we need to go to a special clinic. It's the God alone clinic. Okay? And we need to take a special course called the God alone clinic course. Because it's better to go to this God alone clinic course, better to go through that, Because what happens before you die? In either case, whether you go through the God Alone Clinic course or you die, God will cut us down to size. He'll cut us down to size. Have you ever wondered why believers have to go through the judgment seat of Christ where it says we will suffer loss? What's heaven? Why do we suffer? I mean, the Lord is drying our tears, but suffer loss? Heaven's so wonderful. Why do we have to suffer loss? Because one way or another... Pride in us is going to be dealt with. And if a person chooses not to go through the God alone clinic course, then God will at the judgment seat of Christ cut us down to size. Because if we don't get cut down to size, then heaven's not going to be a good place. So the God alone clinic course is found in the book of Job. And the reason it's in the book of Job is because God had to take Job through the God alone clinic course. And so we have it there. And it spans over four chapters. And it starts, and if you want to turn, and we're not going to look at all of them, but if you want to turn to Job chapter 38, 1, that's where it starts. So first of all, when you want to go through this course, as God was taking Job to the course, as a preparation, you have to prepare for the course. 
And so God says to Job in verse 3 of Job 38.3, he says, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. So that's basically God saying, are you ready? Are you ready to go through the God Alone Clinic course? And then it starts, and it goes on and on, and it's a rough course. It says, he starts off with, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who stretches out the line upon it? It's all these questions. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Question mark. Who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Question mark. Who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth? as if it issued out of the womb, question mark. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy pride waves be staved, question mark. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? So you can see, you know, Job, he's like getting one question after another. It's a rough course. And he's sitting there thinking about, you know, all these things that God is pelting Job with, these questions. And then in verse 17, he says, Have the gates of death opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breath of the earth? Declare, if thou knowest it all. See, once in a while, God peppers into the course. These Say something, Job, say something, if you know anything. In verse 19, where is the way where light dwelleth? Question mark. It's for darkness. There is the place thereof that thou shouldst take the bond thereof. Well, it goes on and on. It's a very rough course. It's long. In the middle of the God Alone Clinic course, in Job chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, finally, Job, you know, kind of surfaces out of the water, so to speak, and he says something. And what does he say? In Job 40, verses 3 and 4, Job answers the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. <laughs> so that's being successful, see? Now he's doing very well in the clinic course. And he says, I am vile, and what shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. So that's where Job is saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. But God says, no, you don't. You're only halfway through. And so God tells him, get ready for more. In Job 40, verses 6 through 7, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, gird up now thy loins like a man, and I'll demand of thee and declare thou unto me. And he goes on for two more chapters. You know, verses 8, 40, verse 8. Will thou also just to know my judgment? Will thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God? Canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. Array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath. Behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and so forth and so forth. So at the completion of the God Alone Clinic course, Job actually graduates. Very good. And so he has a graduation speech, which is for us, Job 42, 1 through 6. He gets up and he's getting his diploma here. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. See? Job has been cut down to size. And his graduation speech is, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now Job knows it's just all about God. He knows it's all about God alone. The creation is all about God alone. The covenants are all about God alone. 
So he passed the course. All right, now we'll go back. Turn to Genesis 9, verse 8. Because this covenant is a little different from the covenant we're reading about in Genesis 6. See, because in Genesis 9, 8, it says, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. See, that's the covenant. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the covenant. And God said, this is the token of the covenant, which I make between you, me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, in this covenant, God promised to never destroy the earth again with water. And so he uses the same language in Genesis 9 here as he used in Genesis 6, that behold, I establish my covenant, you know, and so forth. Okay. But this is a different covenant than the one in Genesis 6. Why is the covenant in Genesis 9 different from all other covenants? Okay, why is it? Hope. This one's hope. Well, that was pretty good hopeful too. It's an ark. Okay. This is the point. Because see, here in this covenant in Genesis 9, there's no action of man involved. See, he just says he's never going to destroy the earth again. He's going to make a covenant with Noah, but Noah doesn't have to do anything. So when you first look at the covenant in uh, chapter 6, and you read some very important words in verse 18 of Genesis 6:18 that are very different from the covenant we just read in Genesis 9, and there are these. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark. And thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy son's wife with thee. Those are very important words. And then to show also in the end of this chapter, verse 22 of chapter 6, Genesis 6, it says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Tom, today you talked about when God invited Noah to come into the ark. Now that was a different kind of invitation. I get invited to people's house all the time, and they would say something like, I'd like to invite you over to come over for dinner, but not, you shall come into my house for dinner. So why didn't God say that he invited Noah to come into the ark? You know, that's very important, the way he said that. He said, thou shall come into the ark. And the reason why he said that is precisely the point that you were making. And that is that this was a command from God. God sees the horrible future that awaited everybody on earth if they didn't come into the ark. And he commanded them. God sees today the horrible future that awaits anybody to dies without the Lord Jesus Christ, what the Lord Jesus Christ referred to as dying in your sins. And therefore, the gospel, which is a good news, which is an invitation, but it's a command from God. And so the, the, the where this is really brought out in particular is in Romans 10, 9 through 16. This is a wonderful passage here where things are made so crystal clear, where it says in Romans 10, 9, if thou shalt confess 
with thy mouth, you know, not with your thoughts, not with your intention, but with thy mouth. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That means that if you say and you tell people, you believe that the Lord, that Jesus Christ is God, he is the Lord. If you confess that, that he is God, he is Lord, you believe that. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, in other words, if you rely in your heart, you rest on your heart, you depend on him in your heart, you put your trust in him in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead. In other words, that God raised him from the dead and that his death as your sacrifice is going to be effectual for, for you and you will follow him in resurrection all. If you believe that in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead and he will raise you too because he promised it, thou shalt shall be saved. It's crystal clear. And then he goes on and he says there, that's because with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the man conf- with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever shall believe in them shall not be ashamed. And then Paul says, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him. See, what he's saying here is that when you talk about the difference between the Jew and the Greek, the point is not the differences in the them themselves, the point is the richness of God unto all, either Jew or Gentile, who call upon him. And so in that sense, all have sinned, Jews and Gentiles, and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is to all, Jews and Gentiles, and that's eternal life. And so he says here that, that therefore, he says the same Lord is, is rich. He's very rich unto all that call upon him. just want to say that in Ephesians 2, 4, it speaks about, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. That's the way we look at God, whether we're Jew or we're Gentile. We look up to God and we say, that's a rich God, has so much riches in his mercy, it's overflowing to me that when I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in my heart and believe in my heart that He that, that God has raised him from the dead, that I'm saved. Why am I saved? Because the, the, the mercy of God is just boiling over. It's bubbling over. It's overflowing to me on a, on a like a great fountain because he's rich unto all that call upon him. He is rich in mercy in his great love. And so then he says for in verse 13 of, of uh, Romans 10, he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. What's the point there? Whosoever, whether Jew or Gentile, whosoever, whoever, whatever sinner shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved without reservation, shall be saved without hesitation, shall be saved, totally saved, because God is rich in mercy. He loves to save. Then it goes on and it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And as is written, how beautiful are the feet that them that preach the gospel, gospel means good news, that preach the good news of peace, peace with God. That's a great news. And the gospel is the good news that the war is over that caused our separation between us and God, which Isaiah made so very clear in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. He says, it's your sins that have separated between you and God. And the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross dealt with our sin problem and put it away out of his sight so that when he was finished, he put it behind his back. 
He cast it into the deepest seas, our sins. He'll remember them no more. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. He does all of that because the wrath of God was great on the cross that was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a great wrath of God that fell on the Lamb of God. So therefore, there's a great peace. There's a great peace peace with God that comes as a result of the great sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And so then he says that it's beautiful, the feet of them that bring this great news that preach the gospel of peace. They bring glad tidings, good things, glad tidings, good news, good things. It's a good thing to have your sins forgiven. It's a good thing to be adopted by God. It's a good thing to have a future with God in heaven. It's a good thing to have a house in God's mansion forever. It's a good thing to have every tear wiped away for all of eternity. It's a good thing to have our names written on his hands. It's a good thing to have our names engraved over his heart. Those are some of the good things. So the gospel and the person who preaches the gospel also brings good good news of all those good things. That's not, there's no bad things. Those are good things. But then it says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? And that's the first verse in Isaiah 53. Lord, he asks, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? But the point is here is that he's talking about the invitation to come to the gospel of peace, the invitation to be saved. But then it switches right away in verse 16 to an obedience. So the gospel is a command. It's not just an invitation. It's not just, oh, would you please come over to my house for dinner tonight? It is a, you will come over to my house to dinner tonight. So God's invitation is so strong here for people to be saved that it's actually a command. That's why it says that they have not all obeyed the gospel. And how serious a problem is it to obey the gospel? Well, 2 Thessalonians 1.8 also speaks about this obeying the gospel. And it says that for those that don't do it, then God in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, all the riches that we talked about in the, in God's mercy, all of those great, those that when it says he is rich unto all that call upon him. And from Ephesians 2, 4, God who is rich in mercy. And all we just talked about is rich, so much mercy. There's no shortage of vengeance with God either. There's no shortage of judgment with God. There's no shortage of uh, what he calls here flaming fire taking vengeance. So it's not just, uh, well, I may or I may not. Maybe when I get older and I'm sitting in a rocking chair, then I'll turn to God. Oh, no, this is a very, very serious thing. Because to neglect God's invitation, to refuse to obey God's invitation to be saved, is to put up, when a person does that, they put themselves square in the sights of God with the flaming fire and the vengeance. And so that's why it's so vitally important. And that's why as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we persuade so strongly. We get all worked up about it. We 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 think, as Paul said, I'll become all things to all men so that I could save some. In other words, he says to the Jew, I'll become a Jew to the Greek, I'll become a Greek, whatever, because this is such a this is such a huge issue because we understand from the scripture that it's not just, uh, oh, well, an option, I think I will or I think I won't. The gospel of God is so great, his mercy is so great that to spurn it, that to, to uh, as he puts it, despise and reject 
the Lord Jesus Christ, is to incur great judgment of vengeance. And nobody should ever be in that position. Nobody at all. That's why God says, go into the ark, Noah. Thou shalt come into the ark. That's why he put it that way. You will come into the ark. That's why he says, you will receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, it's always choice. It's always choice. And unfortunately, there are those who decide that, no, I don't think I want. I will. I will not have this man to rule over me. I choose Barabbas rather than than Jesus. That, that's the choice that God has given to every man. God is sovereign, but man is crowned with the sovereignty of choice. And that's why God says, choose life that thou mayest live, as Moses put it to the Jewish people. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we'd like to encourage you to visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. And we've added some new features on our website where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come directly to your phone or to your email. So just go to friendshipwithgod.org. Right on the home page, you can find a sign-up button. Just fill out your email address, and you'll get Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse sent to your phone or to your email. You can also sign up for our Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God newsletter, where you'll hear about our Summer Blitz campaign that's going on right now in 17 Jewish cities around the United States to reach over 1 million lost Jewish people to let them know that their Messiah has come, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can follow us and get information about the campaign that's going on right now. We've got over 100 missionaries out there uh, reaching lost Jewish people door-to-door, making relationships, and giving them the gospel. You can get these reports and hear what's going on and how God is moving through the testimonies of these missionaries. As they send them in, we'll put them out on the Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God newsletter. So you can go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, sign up for that, and hear about this epic campaign. You can also receive some of the prayer requests that these missionaries have that you can pray for them as they're encountering these Jewish people who are lost and that are very close to salvation as they're being given the truth of the gospel and their Savior who loves them dearly. So call us today at one 800 247-3051 that's 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for a free gift thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time